Welcome to today's episode of MicroConf on Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Today, Asia Matos and I are going to talk about how to acquire your first 100 customers, kicking off from her MicroConf starter talk from last year. And don't worry if you haven't seen the talk, um, I'll be doing a quick recap of it at, towards the top of the interview. Uh, obviously, if you're in microconfconnect.com uh, or in, in MicroConf Connect, which is our uh, Slack channel, you can ask questions. Um, and microconfonair.com if you just want to watch the live stream. If you miss any of these episodes and you want to see them asynchronously, Microconf On Air is now a podcast. And so you can head to um, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places that you would listen to a podcast, Overcast, Downcast, search for Microconf On Air, and these episodes come out a couple times a week. I actually just listened back to uh, the one with Cortland, Cortland Allen last week. It turned out really good. As always, thank you to Basecamp and Stripe, our partners, our headline partners this year, and Asia Matos Arangio. Welcome. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. So uh, Asia and I were talking before we started the live stream and she got married last year. And so she's going by Asia Arangio, but I, you know, and I will start calling you that eventually, but right now I'm still holding on to Matos. It's just too much of a shock to my system to, to switch live. I feel you. Same, honestly. I'm still getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So Asia is uh, the founder of Demand Maven. That's at demandmaven.io. It's a demand generation agency and marketing strategy agency for startups. And Asia was gracious enough to speak at MicroConf Starter last year. Talk, her talk title was obviously How to Acquire Your First 100 Customers, which is the topic we're going to talk about today. And again, if you haven't seen the talk, you know we're going to cover enough uh, background about that. But the, there's some Asia has some really cool insights because she works with a lot of different companies, and that's a she has a, a unique advantage that a lot of you know individual founders don't have when you're just looking at your own company, your own strategy. And she's thinking at like that next that next level up. So I wanted to kick us off, um, and and Asia ask you know you mentioned that you've been kind of giving advice and thinking through strategy with the startups that you're work with clients in essence. Um, so I'm wondering like, what advice have you been giving? And obviously, you know, you can speak in generality, so it's not to give away, you know, proprietary information or whatever, but what advice have you been given to startups about how to think about the future, given the current, you know, current state of the world with the recession and the, and the global pandemic? Yeah, of course, it's, it's an excellent question. And it's one that uh, I'm lucky to be able to provide some perspective on, but the, the, the top two things that come to mind, the first is, what has shifted from a market and just an overall customer perspective? Because if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you're a SaaS founder in some kind of way, there is a great chance that something behaviorally has shifted for your customers and an even greater chance that the value proposition of what your product ultimately or service ultimately offers uh, to those customers has also likely shifted. A great example of this is actually, um, I do have a client where we, in the past, even just like four to five weeks in our sales conversations with, with prospects and customers, we noticed that before uh, all of our market messaging, everything that we've ever said about the product was all about ROI and getting the best bang for your buck. And ever since, uh, unfortunately, recession and pandemic has happened, now that the the value has changed for the customer, now they care so much more about having control, being able to see the future, um, mitigating risk as much as possible. So we went back to the product and all of our marketing messaging and just double checked to make sure that we weren't tone deaf. 
I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Uh, is the best advice I can give in terms of what are you saying and is that different for your customers now? And the only way to know that is, of course, by talking to them, talking to prospects uh, and really digging deep into what's changed. I think that the second thing, though, is uh, so aside from value propositions shifting, there's also like the behavioral aspect the way that a customer finds you, is that now different? So where someone might be searching for you before, are they searching different things now? Uh, that is another like behavioral aspect of how they find you, how they actually become customers. Um, and there's actually the one last thing I will leave you with. I think now more than ever, the, the time is now to be a painkiller as opposed to being a vitamin. What I mean by that is your product uh, you're likely in one of two categories. You're likely solving and killing pain for people, or you are kind of like a vitamin, in which case you're selling a better version of people, of, of themselves. Uh, so if you think about why you would buy a painkiller versus a vitamin. Now more than ever, though, I think it's going to be critical and imperative that products really get to the meat and, and bones of like, are they actually killing pain for people? And has the pain changed? has it shifted? And again, the only way to know that is of course, to continue customer research, to continue talking to customers and just validating what it is that you're seeing. But I think that that's the other third thing that we've we've been um, just making sure that we really understand and that we are pretty dialed in on. I think that's good. I think the term tone deaf is something that people should be thinking about. And even like you said, revisiting old marketing messaging, I think, I think is important. Oh yeah. So, so I wanna give a quick summary of your talk. Um, the high level pieces and you, you can fill in anything that I miss, but the high level pieces are, you know, you kind of you started, you said fundamentally there are, there are two aspects of marketing. The first is the customer journey isn't linear. People need time to decide, compare and ultimately commit to your product. And the second is focus on the bottom of your funnel first. Uh, what does someone do right before they start looking for a solution to their pain? Tackle that channel first. And you talk about like how top of funnel activity is all about awareness and attracting people bottom of the funnel is about mindset, right? People who are here are more interested in solving their pain. And then you went through a couple case studies. One was, I like this because it, it gave concrete examples. It's a case study with a pain therapist and the top of funnel search terms that, that they might target were, uh, I think they were an actual client of yours. Um, it was how to become a therapist, how to build a private practice in therapy. The middle of the funnel how to choose an amazing clinical supervisor and the bottom of the funnel is online clinical supervisors for LMFT in Georgia, right? So it just gets more and more specific and the volume of, of traffic at the bottom of the funnel is always going to be less than the top, but there's, there's so much more intent and so much more likely to, uh, to convert. And, um, you also talked about, you brought jobs to be done in doing interviews to, you know, get, get, uh, kind of customer prospect words. And if we use acronyms during this or abbreviations during this conversation, tofu is top of funnel, mofu is middle of funnel, and bofu is bottom of the funnel. Anything I missed off the top of your head? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I feel like that was an amazing recap. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything uh, that I would add to that. I, I think that the uh, I think that you hit the nail on the head in terms of um, uh, the main points. The only thing I would add is just uh, really dialing in on what what is that phase that that weird spot between um, like they're super unaware about your product and then they are I've got a problem like I want to solve it and how do I do that uh, that's something that uh, from from a talk perspective I'm, I'm learning at least that focusing on that gray area 
and really getting, um, I hate to say black and white, but getting super black and white about like focusing on the unaware people versus the aware people. You want to be on the aware side if you possibly can. The unaware, it's a lot of effort, but um, anyway, I digress. But no, that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, and that's cool. And that harkens back to like the Eugene Schwartz, you know, the five phases of awareness where it's like not problem aware and then problem aware. Maybe problem aware is the first one. And then it's, no, it's problem unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware. I think that I did, Google them, yeah. Eugene Schwartz five. But, but that really ties into that. You know, the other thing that you talked about that I missed is I like the way you talked about marketing strategy. You were like, look, there's really just three ways to look at marketing. Owned media, which are the channels and the media you own, right? So this is your website and your brand social media channels and landing pages. Earned media, which, is, which are channels of media that you've earned from others. So this is referrals, links, other people writing uh, you know, about you, reviews, press, all that stuff. And then there's paid media, which is obviously just AdWords, Facebook ads, all, all the paid acquisition, even Captera, LinkedIn, and that, that type of stuff. So that's a nice way to frame it as well when you think about it. I'm curious, so, you know, you gave your talk just about a year ago, almost to the day, I think, within, within two weeks of a year ago. Have you rethought or made any specific improvements or adjustments to your approach since then? Yeah. You know, the, the approach uh, is still very much the same. Uh, in terms of how do we figure out how do we figure out what are the right channels? How do we really understand the customer journey? And how do we figure out how how to know what we ultimately don't know about the way our customers think about the product, the problem they're trying they're trying to solve, the solution? That I would say is actually the exact same. Now, how how I've educate how I educate on that has changed. Uh, so uh, my talks I think now are so much more focused on um, really walking people through the process of demand gen and, and really doing that on their own. And yes, like we still talk about the customer journey, we still talk about the channels and we still talk about how do you craft that strategy. But I think now more than ever, um, uh, what I'm finding is their founders really just want to know like what is step one, step two, step three. <laughs> so we've really kind of gone more into that. Okay, so with all of this knowledge about how to like actually think about this, what are those steps with the right context at least? And um, so, so the talk itself has shifted more on on those steps and, and the background knowledge that you'll need to successfully take those steps and take those measures and, and feel good about what it is that you're doing. But I would say the process, honestly, is the same. Um, I don't know that at least uh, even like from a client perspective, uh, I think that the, the biggest thing is we focus on what are the growth experiments that we want to run? What are the tests that we want to run? Knowing that if you've never done marketing before, then everything is going to be a test. You know, we, we really won't know until we try it, but we make the absolute best educated guesses that we possibly can with the research that we have. And uh, we learn tons. And usually what ends up happening is we come out of on the other side with some kind of campaign or set of channels that ultimately do work. And that's, you know, obviously the goal. That's what everyone wants to accomplish, which is a huge win for me as well. Right. And that, and that's the difference between, or one of the differences between strategies and tactics is you talked a lot about high level strategy, high level ways of thinking, and those don't really change over time. You know, maybe over a very, about 20, 30 years, they might, but in a year, the strategies you outlined are still, they're, they're going to hold true for, for a long time. You also, in your talk, talked about, you know, a bunch of, you listed a bunch of marketing channels, uh, organic search, paid search, paid ads like Facebook, Twitter, ad roll. Uh, video and audio, like YouTube, podcasts, social media, 
communities like Reddit, referrals, word of mouth, events, conferences, review sites like Captera and G2 Crowd, publications like Medium, um, et cetera. And, there, and there's a bunch. I mean, we could, we could probably list 20, 25 off the top of our head here. I'm yeah. curious today, like what, what handful do you see working? And whether, yeah. you know, I realize that we're in a pandemic and that's, you know, that kind of colors this, <laughs> this conversation. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear, again, given that you have that unique advantage of being able to see across many, um, you know, many companies, I'm curious what, what you see working. Yeah, I can tell you the ones that we almost always test over and over again. Uh, and the ones that work, it, I, I, if there's one thing I wish I could have really drilled down into uh, during that talk, it, it's really that at the end of the day, uh, marketing, demand gen growth, whatever you want to call it, it really doesn't care about what channels you use so long as it gives you the desired result. So if content marketing works for you and like that's the jam and it does the thing, awesome. If Facebook ads do the thing for you and like that's what gives you results, awesome. Uh, but I will say that across the board, the things that almost always come up, we almost always look at what does either organic search or paid search look like? We almost always test um, Facebook and sometimes uh, LinkedIn, it just really depends on the audience. But um, but we've, we've been able to see some pretty good results from Facebook, specifically on the retargeting end. And uh, the the third thing, and, and this is something that might make some founders cringe, but uh, outbound prospecting, honestly. And it, it, that might not necessarily be something that I myself do, but how, like enabling the founder to actually put out messaging to send whether they're LinkedIn and mails at scale or emails at scale. Um, those are those are really the, the three things that we almost always test. And usually we'll see some pulse on um, paid uh, paid search, I would say, is another one of those opportunities on the organic side, like on the free, like we're not paying, we're really just spending time. We almost always look at uh, what are the communities out there or conferences out there that we might not have tapped yet that we can. And sometimes that actually even includes like helping the founder build uh, like a, a personal brand in a way um, and helping, you know, find the voice. That's always sometimes that's part of it. Um, but yeah, those are I would say that those are the, the channels that historically have have proven what my guess, though, moving forward, even with the pandemic, is that paid advertising in general will likely get a lot cheaper for some, not all some markets. It's going to be the same. It's probably going to be even more ungodly. Uh, but I think the some paid channels for some markets will likely uh, actually decrease in price and it'll get a little bit cheaper to, to try those. I think that makes a lot of sense. The the thing, you know, as I'm looking across thirty uh, something companies that I've invested in and that I have conversations with, everything you've said is I mean, these are always the kind of the first things to test. The things I'm seeing working are always I always have people get retargeting set up whether they're going to do it in Google or Facebook, um, depending on where their audience is. Integrations are a big one. Yeah. Um, you know, integrating with whatever, whoever. You, you look at who I, I like to think about it, who's before you and who's after you in, in terms of the kind of where you're, what your customers are doing. Sorry, somebody's texting me and distracting me, but um, who's before you and after you in your customer's process. So like an example I like to use is if I'm an email service provider, right before me is landing pages and right after an email capture of some kind, like an opt-in monster. And then after me tends to be um, usually some type of commerce, you know, like a shopping cart, uh, whether that's. Uh, send owl or or gumroad or you know even shopify right 
And so it's like you integrate with the folks who are before you and after you and then try to get that promotion because they tend to have shared uh, customer bases. And then cold, cold email is one that works for a lot of people. And I, I know it's like you said, it's controversial and you know, maybe it's not for you, but I, it definitely works in a lot, of, a lot of spaces. And then trade shows and events, especially for folks with the high price points, if you're going after Fortune 1000, Fortune 5000, like that's where they, it's crazy, but you know, there, there's so much value in meeting folks in person. Yes. Um, you know, and, and for folks who want to build the, the self-service, you know, $20 a month SaaS app, then trade shows and events are probably not for you. But um, if you have big, higher ticket prices, that's, that's a big one. Yeah. So I'm curious, like one of my favorite parts of your talk was you, you had this sentence uh, on a slide and you said, you only need to answer the question, what did your prospect do to immediately solve their pain? That you find out what their pain is and then you find out how they solved it but what did they do to immediately solve their pain and then you you know kind of give a list of options that, that potentially they could have done can you i just want to call it out because it was it was just such a poignant part of your talk can you walk people through that thought process yeah absolutely this is i mean it, it's it's a critical part of not just marketing but it's also just your product and what what is its place in the market and in the world which is like you know that existential <laughs> question, but but at the end, but from like a, a growth perspective and just a marketing perspective in general, the reason why that question is so critical to answer is because it likely points to channels and also competitive alternatives, whether that's an actual competitor or whether that's a behavior that they choose instead of using your product, and what what I try to do from just like a strategy perspective is when we know what that is, whether that's they, they asked a friend or they searched or they, uh, they decided to use a spreadsheet instead. <laughs> uh, usually when those, when those uh, behaviors or next steps become critical or apparent, we can, we can now actually craft entire go-to-market around what that typical behavior is. And, and there are gonna be patterns over time. Uh, so the example that you gave earlier was actually from, uh, from a client actually who I'm working with again now. They 30X in growth, um, they, they wanna come back and they wanna do it again, which is awesome. Uh, but we, when we identified the very critical behavior that everyone, every single therapist did the same exact step to find the alternative, then we said, okay, how do we build marketing around this pattern that they take every single time? And for us, that was organic search. Uh, and then also doubling that back up with paid search since paid is a little bit faster, obviously to rank, putting that in finger quotes. Um, but that that question is, is so critical to really understand. And then also to understand what is it that they're ultimately trying to solve and why? Uh, because we can we can create content about that. We can insert ourselves into that funnel, if you will. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, really, truly knowing that and taking that to heart. And then how do we build marketing around that? That's that's really the secret sauce. Excellent. We have a question from MicroConf Connect. If you are in MicroConf Connect and want to uh, ask Asia a question, I am uh, only have one or two more for myself. So um, please chime <laughs> in. The question is from Will Johnson. And he asks, to reach therapists, what was the approach? Was it cold calling, content marketing, others? Ah, and I, yeah. you know, I'm curious to hear. <laughs> okay, so uh, I love this question because there's, there's, there's a few moments, I guess, uh, or, or thoughts that immediately go into my head. But I think that the first thing is, 
when when you have an audience that you want to target the first the first thing is okay uh why do you want to reach therapists in our case we didn't want to just reach therapists we actually wanted to reach pre-licensed therapists people who had either just graduated from college and or had graduated from college years ago but they hadn't become a licensed therapist and that's a very specific segment of the market if you think about it uh in terms of targeting blanket therapists from my personal experience uh they are likely in Facebook communities. They are also likely, uh, they, there's a few different conferences and just associations that they follow and that they pay attention to. Um, I don't know what your product is, but uh, I, I can tell you at least from what we unpacked and what we researched, pre-licensed therapists, um, well, first, the product offered online clinical supervision. So we wanted, these pre-licensed therapists to use our product for online clinical supervision. The behavior that that pre-licensed therapists have on average is, well, whenever they look for a clinical supervisor, they just go into Google and they just type in like their state clinical supervision and then uh, whatever their credential licensure is. That was a behavior that we identified over and over and over again. Every single interview I did, it was the same pattern over and over again. So then we said, well, if they're all going into Google to, to search this, we should rank for that. <laughs> so then we uh, executed and built a scalable landing page strategy for every single state and licensure type, which that's like uh, hundreds probably now of landing pages. We now, uh, for some of those we rank and um, that's how really they find us. It's, it's more of an inbound strategy. We did double that up with um, paid media just to make it happen a little bit faster so we weren't like waiting around for SEO to kick in. Um, but that's the context of that example. From a, if I were to target therapists not knowing much else about them, I would say, um, well, for one, there's probably some behavior or thing that they're doing to get kind of close to what your product solves or does. But the second thing is they're likely in communities, they definitely follow like the AAMFT association. Like there's there's like a few conferences and associations that they're really dialed into. Um, and also depending on what kind of therapist, there's likely, I hate to say influencer, kind of like what they are. Um, there are private practice therapists who teach others how to like run their own private practice. Um, there's a few that come to mind, but there are influencers and bloggers in this space who talk about running like becoming a therapist like you know doing that and living that life um those are people that we've tapped as well so there's and there's honestly tons there's tons of content that you can create for therapists uh, i think inbound would be a, an incredible strategy for them cold calling and sales emails i think would be tougher they are um i think on the spectrum of like tech savviness uh most of them i would say are on the less tech tech savvy scale maybe so Whatever it is that you do, I would make it as um, organic and like as genuine as possible, which makes me think cold calling and the the cold emails it hasn't really worked for us. Really, inbound has been where it's at. But that's my my two cents on therapists. <laughs> yep, man, I love I love inbound. If you can make inbound work in your business, it's great. It just often takes a really long time if you don't have money to spend. You know, because exactly. that organic and content just takes so long. There's a question from YouTube, um, and I'm not sure. If this is not your area of expertise or if you haven't done this, that's fine. We can just pass it because I, I, I'm not sure that it's 100% um, you know, in, in your wheelhouse, so to speak. But the question is, what's the best way to deal with rejection when cold calling? Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a little bit of experience with this. Okay, 
uh, purely purely because um, previous roles, I and there's always like B two B versus B two C, and then there's um, you know demo versus like fully self service premium, etc. I've worked with sales teams, and um, I've also not you know like it's been all marketing generating the the free trials and the sign up. So I've been on both worlds. But um, from a cold calling perspective, in terms of dealing with rejection. The first question that I would ask, uh, and this is more of like a, I would ask myself this, but is, is, is it that the rejection is something that I know that I can counter or am I just taking it personally? So I think um, if it's a question about taking it personally, that's a, that's just a, um, you know, a sales grit kind of like over time, you will be able to handle rejection better. If it's more of a, um, I, I should be able to, uh, maybe checkmate the, re the, the like the rejection or really the objection is, is probably is uh, and try to unpack why is the rejection happening? Um, what am I missing when I'm talking to this person? And what is it that uh, I'm not conveying well enough? To me, it might actually be more of a communication or a messaging challenge. If, if you're getting like the constant rejection over and over and over again, um, I would actually approach it more of like a consulting call as opposed to a pure sales call, which is like buy my thing. I would approach it much more of like, a, okay, well, tell me more about that. Why? Like, what? what's the real, what's the thing that you're missing here? And if you find it's a lot of just like, well, you're calling me at the wrong time or like, it's, you know, whatever. Um, well, there's ways that you can handle that. But then if you find that you're actually getting objections that um, maybe either your product just doesn't solve at all or it's, it's the wrong message entirely, it could be either one. Um, but that's typically how I've worked with sales teams in the past. Whenever we get a ton of rejection, we usually like we reverse engineer, okay, well, who did we actually call and why? Did, did we like pause to ask why or like, you know, what's going on or tell me more about why this is super uninteresting to you. And most people will be honest and tell you, um, especially to a salesperson, <laughs> I feel like they hear it all. Uh, but when we do actually like pause and approach it more of like a consultative approach, that's when we understand, that's when we get all the insights that we need to really change like our cold call approach and change our script if we're using a script, which you probably are. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my approach on how to handle that. But there's tons of sales resources on how to, uh, uh, you know, obviously Stelly do the cold calling FD. thing really well. Yes. Yeah. Google FD. go to close.com, look at their blog, look at his eBooks, look at his YouTube videos. That'll be, he'll, he'll nail that. That was good advice though. Thank you. Of course. Um, you have, or we have a couple more questions. We are uh, running a little short on time. We got about four minutes left, but I think we can crank through these. So Pranay Pratik said, any suggestions on good channels for DevOps slash developer tools? Early yeah. stage product, uh, six to 10,000 annual contract value. Okay. Uh, okay, so I'm assuming that you are targeting developers, DevOps folks, and you're looking for channels to to market to people through those channels okay uh the developer mindset and this is just from personal experience is that they are just violently allergic to any pure forms of marketing unless it's really 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 good uh so what i what i find really works is um facebook ads are really tough uh things like advertisements digitally at least in general are kind of tough unless they are sometimes sponsored newsletters from from like really trusted um, you know uh, other like technical people who run those newsletters. The other thing that comes to mind, um, communities in general. I find that developers love to share knowledge. So I, if you're brave enough and if you have something that is relevant enough, I would look at Reddit. 
I would also look at um, uh, building product and tools as marketing is something that comes to mind. So like publishing code to GitHub, um, things that things that would help other developers or other people uh, from like a code based perspective. There's also um, uh, tons of technical conferences just in general, depending on like what kind of developer you're, you're targeting. And then something that I find is Rob mentioned integrations earlier. That is huge for a developer. I'm not certain what the product is, but if 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 it's part of a workflow in any kind of way, I'd be looking at every single part of the developer workflow that you could possibly integrate with that wouldn't be super competitive, but would provide immense value. That's one of the best ways. And then of course, when a developer has a great uh, product and they have an amazing product experience, usually one technical customer becomes three because they've referred it. So I would also make sure that you've got some kind of growth loop in your product where after you've given them an amazing experience, uh, they will absolutely share with their friends and developers love talking about their stack and like what they're using to accomplish a thing. So that's also how I would kind of think about um, that mindset. Some of those might not be super uh, helpful, but some of those might. So hopefully it falls in line there. The other question I would ask myself is, are you actually selling to developers or are you selling to development managers or you ah, know, people question. who run teams because at six to 10 K a year, you know, is a developer, do they have the purchasing power or do they then have to go convince their boss to get it and start thinking about if you have to do that marketing too. So, um, all right, I think we have time for, I, we have two more questions. We might only get through one given that we have one minute. Uh, let's see, I wrote it down somewhere here. Oh, it's from Gene Goikman. He says, if your product is very horizontal, can you suggest some approaches to select groups to target? This be jobs to be done? Is that what, the, would you do interviews and go from there? Uh, I'm assuming by horizontal, it means that it can, it can exist in pretty much any team. Yeah, and I mean, you know, think of like micro, Microsoft Word, right? It just can be used yeah. by anybody or Google Docs versus if I built Google Docs for therapists, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, I've, I've got a client that's kind of like that. Um, okay, so if it, if it is a, for for any team or it can be in pretty much any context, I think the, the first step is obviously defining the context. So yes, jobs to be done. I would absolutely start there. Uh, I think that the second thing is when you do identify the teams or uh, maybe the certain situations in which this product applies and maybe even different industries or verticals, the goal isn't really necessarily to feel like you have to be in every single one of those all at once. The goal is really to identify the patterns over time and to run tests against those patterns that you identify. Um, so I've got a client that is in the project management space. And um, as you can imagine, that applies to just about every business possible, you know, in theory. The reality is that there's really only a few kinds of mindsets and um, approaches that make someone a great customer. And from there, we, as we start seeing an influx of a certain kind of team and or in vertical, we, we build campaigns and test uh, and test that as, as we as we receive it and as we learn from it. And over time, it ends up being this like really scaled out approach. Um, but definitely don't feel like you need to boil an ocean. I would I would try to target the mindset and the context first and um, follow the patterns over time and see if you start to get uh, if you see like a very big swell of something. So if you get a bunch of marketers, you know, in B2B SaaS companies versus a bunch of therapists, uh, you know, on the other end, I think I think it it it's elastic. Uh, the key would just be to to notice patterns and trends over time and don't feel like you need to boil the ocean. 
Very nice. Thank you so much, Asia, for taking 30 minutes to hang out with us today. Asia is Asia Matos, M-A-T-O-S, on Twitter. And you can find out more about what she does at demandmaven.io. Thanks Thank again, you so Asia. much for having me. Yes, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Take us out, Producer Xander. <laughs> Normally the theme song starts rolling right here. There we go. <laughs> The guru, it's the micro, microphone. Nice. So fancy. I love it. <laughs> so folks, we'll be back on Thursday, same time, same place with Nate Grahek. He's going to be talking, man, Nate knows video. He's going to be title that he gave is MVP Video Production 101. I think about it like how to be really good at video without having to be an expert and how to get kind of a minimum viable setup. If you're into video, even if you know what you're doing, um, I'd recommend that you, you come check it out.